As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Come on now, that wasn't enough. Did we worship the Lord today or what? Man, I'm telling you, I am excited to be in church today. Give me a round of applause again if you are. I don't know, you know, every week these guys, Ethan and the team, they lead us in this, but man, it's, I'm just so thankful for them leading us in the presence of God. But I gotta say this, like, who is this guy right here? Like, this is the first time we've seen this guy. Hey, come on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Get it. Whoa, 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 come on. I gotta, sh- I gotta shake your hand, man, come on. You bring it down the house today. What, what, why don't we see you more often? I mean, uh, what's your first name? LaShawn. Say it again? LaShawn. LaShawn, all right, good stuff, man. Gosh. Is this what I miss you guys always having when I am travel back and forth? <laughs> hey, let me start with this question. Have you ever had somebody in your family and they do these family trees or these genealogies? Go ahead and give me a hand raise. If you or somebody you know in your family, they do this. And man, people are consumed with this. It's one of the number one things that's, or in the top five, things that's searched online. My cousin, he's been working on our genealogy for the last 10 years. It's, it's amazing. And So why are people fascinated with this? Well, because it tells you something about yourself that you didn't know. It reveals some stuff, maybe where you're from or who you're related to. For instance, President Obama's, Obama, former president, Obama's genealogy, it revealed that he was actually related to former Vice President Cheney. Can you believe that? I would have just loved to have been in the room when both of them found that out. What? Let me bring it a little closer to home. My wife, Jody. I mean, gosh, I always think of her as royalty. All of us as husbands should think of our spouses like that. But do you know that her genealogy proves, I'm not kidding, she's related directly to the governor, William Bradford, who came over on the Mayflower. She is royalty. (laughs) But what's the deal with these genealogies, man? I mean, if we look at all of them, I'm a competitive guy. Who's got the best one? What's the most miraculous genealogy? So glad you asked. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter one. We're starting a new series. It's simply called Miracles, Miracles of Christmas. And we're gonna study Matthew chapter one and two as we prepare for Christmas. And today, I wanna start out with the first 17 verses with, if I'm honest, most pastors, they skip over them. Why? Because it's about the genealogy. And I wanna prove to you, that's the title of the message, the most miraculous genealogy right here. And I wanna prove, give you some reasons why I believe that that is true. And we ain't skipping over nothing. Because we believe that every word, every paragraph, every sentence is inspired by God. Stink, I wish somebody else believed that. Don't we? We believe that to be true. And so they're in here for a purpose, so we're gonna discover what that is today. And so let's do this. For the reading of God's word, let's stand to our feet if you're able with me. It says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron and Hezron the father of Ram. 
and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, by Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Matam, and Matam, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. You may be seated. I didn't think I was gonna get through that. I just wanna thank you for the standing ovation you gave me. In all seriousness, why is it that this is the most miraculous? Well, the first reason is this, because this genealogy reveals fulfilled prophecy. And so let's take a look right away at verse one. And verse one, it gives us two epic covenants or prophecy. And the first is the son of David, the second is the son of Abraham. Now, when it says it, and Matthew's starting off like this, he's proving a point that Jesus fulfilled these. And so first, the son of David, theologians refer to that as the Davidic prophecy or covenant. It's called this, it's from 2 Samuel chapter 7, and it's when David was promised the lineage and the kingship, and that the kingship would come through him. And and then the son of Abraham is referring to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, and this is the covenant or the promise that was given to Abraham and You'll remember it from Sunday school that what? That God promised him that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And so don't miss it. First out of the gate, Jesus fulfilled the Davidic covenant that he has rightful access to the throne. That's what this is proving. And son of Abraham, that he is a direct descendant of Abraham. So nobody can fulfill this but Jesus. But you say this, and all questions are welcomed in this church. Not every church, but this church, because doubt's real. It's like, like we want to know. Well, you might think, well, what if somebody else came along and said they fulfilled the same thing? Could they? No. Reason? Temple was destroyed in 70 AD. All the genealogy, genealogy records are gone. All the birth workers were stored in the temple. I mean, it gives me a chill thinking about it. If some knucklehead would say that he's the Christ, he can't be the Christ, because you're never gonna prove it. And Jesus did this. He not only fulfilled these two, he fulfilled over 300 promises, covenants, 
prophecies in the Old Testament, the likelihood of someone actually doing that, fulfilling only eight of the 300, would be, and I've used this illustration before, like me filling the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep, marking one with the red X, putting it in and somehow magically mixing the whole thing up in a blender, and then picking you and say, come on up here and blindfolding you. And saying, man, you got one chance. You can fly to Dallas, you can fly to San Antonio, you can go wherever you want, but you only get one chance to pick up that coin with the red X. It's impossible. It, it's, it, it's not probable, it's not, it could possibly have, it's totally impossible. Man, Jesus is who he says he is, because he fulfilled prophecy. Second reason why we can't skip over this genealogy like you did in your quiet time. <laughs> yes, you did. You just say, oh, yeah, good, I got a chapter in. <laughs> yeah, I see some honest people nodding. Well, the second reason is this, and this is greater. We gotta put our thinking caps on for this one. It validates Christ's deity. And so this is really extremely important. I always say this phrase, I don't know if you know what I mean, follow the bouncing ball. I remember in, like, when I was a kid watching television, who gets this, is it just I'm getting older? And there was a ball that bounced in it, what, on the lyrics. And, and so follow the bouncing ball, Matthew chapter one, verse 16, put your thinking caps on. Jacob, the father of Joseph, we all know who Joseph is, he's the dad, but look how it refers to him, the husband of Mary. Wait a minute, why is it doing that? The husband of Mary of when Jesus was born? Why, why doesn't it say the dad of Jesus, the father of Jesus? I mean, is he some second-class citizen or something? Is he just some stepdad? Yeah, kind of. The reason is because this is pointing to something. It's pointing our attention to the virgin birth. That's what we're celebrating. And the virgin birth is directly connected to the deity of Christ. Can't have one without the other. They go together like, I don't know, ham and eggs. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. They go together like wine and cheese, or so I've been told. You can't separate them. And so what do I mean? Well, the virgin birth, sorry guys, especially fathers, see the sin gene, original sin, it's passed on through the father. That's who gives it. You say, wait a minute, where do you see that? Hey, fact check me in Romans chapter five, verse 12. That's what we guys bring to the table in the birthing process, original sin. Great job, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I'm serious though, that's the point of this. That's the point of, excuse me, go back, the virgin birth. This should be X'd out. Tyler, put that next slide on, Roman, whatever, Romans five. I'll prove it. If you're gonna put it out here, I'll say it. Therefore, this is the proof. See, I said, he did, I said not to go to this, but they don't do what, I'm, what I tell them. I feel like I'm at home. Okay, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that was Adam, and death through sin, and death spread to all men, because what? Because all men sin. So, so that's what we bring to the table. But Jesus, was without original sin, which enabled him to become the perfect Messiah. The Bible says he was without sin, and so he lived his life and he didn't fall into the trap of sin. That's because he didn't have the original sin gene and that led to him being able to fulfill and become the Lamb of God who went to the cross for each of us. 
That's what Jesus did. I mean, he proved to us that we can see how important these two things are. Within chapter one, we see the virgin birth and we see the deity of Christ. Now, Joseph, we're going to go here next week, but let me give you, if you want to take a look at, um, you know, Joseph had some trouble here, believe in Mary. Like, what do you mean? You didn't, how can you be pregnant? Like, I didn't. And you didn't with anyone else, at least you say. And, and so the angel visited him in a dream, and we see this in verse 16. That's whatever the verse is, 20 and 23. Okay, let's read it from my Bible. As soon as I turn around and turn back, it won't be there. Okay, hold, hold this thought. Somebody take a picture. Okay, so seriously now, let's, let's regain our attention because I'm trying to show you the direct connect between the virgin birth and the deity of Christ. This is really important. So I know we're having fun, but this is important to understand Christmas, and that's what this genealogy is proving. And so verse 20, the angel says to him, and we see, he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so do you see what I'm saying? He's telling her, no, don't worry, man. Hey, hold on. Hold your horses. It wasn't somebody else. She, she's a virgin. And then verse 23 says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And this is the prophecy by Isaiah. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, you tell me, God with us. And so that's the deity part. So these two go together. Now, some theologians and pastors, they've emphasized the significance of the deity of Christ at this time of year. And this is what some of them say. One says this, the deity of Christ is the key doctrine of the scriptures. Rejected and the Bible becomes a jumble of words without any unifying theme. Accept it and what? And the Bible becomes an intelligible and ordered revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Next person says this, we tend to focus our attention at Christmas on the infancy of Christ. Give me a hand raise if that's true. What we do, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we've got to understand. The greater truth of the holiday is his deity. More astonishing than a baby in the manger is the truth that this promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. Love this one by David Jeremiah. He brings it home. Only by being both deity and humanity could Jesus Christ bridge the gap between where God is. Next reason why we shouldn't skip over this genealogy. It's this, that it declares the redemptive story of God. That's what we see. Now verse 17 kind of gives us the summary of it and how it was divided up, but it's 42 generations covering over 2,100 years. I mean, it's remarkable. And now, please, it doesn't include every name. It couldn't do that. If it would include every single name, there wouldn't have been enough papyrus. I'm just happy, thanks to my daughter who is studying environmental science and she's got me on board in quite a few things. I'm just happy that they didn't use all that papyrus. Papyrus, just a little known fact, is made from a reed from the Nile. I'm glad to see these guys are conservationalists. Anybody with me? <laughs> Took a long way to get there, but you know what I'm saying. They, they wouldn't have been able to do it. That wasn't his point. He wasn't proving that. And so what names did he choose? Well, if you look at Luke, you probably didn't notice because you skipped over that genealogy in your quiet time too. And that one is different than this one. 
because this is from Joseph's side and Luke is from Mary's side. And so this one though, how did they choose the names? Well, he divided it into these three groups or three buckets. And he probably did this because, see, these guys, man, we look back, it's, uh, they, he, he probably did that for memory is what I'm guessing, is that they could remember this. And, and so no, it doesn't include every name, but that's not the point. It's got one name and it's in verse one and verse 16, mentioned several times in a variety of ways. It's the star of the story, Jesus. Christ. Jesus means, it's the Hebrew, the Lord saves from Joshua. That's what Joshua is the meaning of. And Christ is the equivalent to Messiah, the long anticipated deliverer and promised one and chosen one of Israel. And so this story focuses on Jesus, the genealogy. And so God's redemptive story is from cover to cover in the Bible. So let me sum up God's redemptive story in four words. First one is creation. Genesis chapter one and two. And God created the world. Everything in it. Created you and I. And he created us to have fellowship with him. That's what he wants. He wants to have a relationship with us. But that fellowship was broken. Genesis chapter three by the fall. We've already talked about that, that that's original sin and that we sin for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. And that's what our lives prove. And, and so the fall in Genesis chapter three, but it doesn't end there. Cover to cover, summarizing the gospel story, the Bible is that what we have next redemption to redeem means to literally be bought back and brought back. That's what you and I have been. God wants to restore our relationship and Genesis 3 through Revelation 20, that's the redemptive story of God, focusing on Jesus who went to the cross and died a death he didn't deserve and should have been you and I on that cross. Theologians call that substitutionary atonement. What's that mean? He took your place. He said, I'll go for you so that you can have a relationship with God. And all we need to do is turn to him in repentance and faith. Not later, in some next life, in this life now. And then that guarantees something. The fourth word is restoration. And that's talked about specifically in Revelation 21. That's where the new heavens and the new earth and the world will be restored. And that's the redemptive story of God in four simple words. Man, that's what ought to be on our Christmas cards. Anybody with me? That, that's what we're celebrating right now. And, so, so this is the story. And so we have a unique opportunity to share his story with people around you. So circle the date. Mark it on your calendar. December 19th, Sunday. What's so special? It's what we call impact services here. We're gonna tell God's redemptive story with special music and special testimony. I can't wait for you to hear the testimony of the couple at all our locations, it will blow your mind of what God did in the midst of difficulty and trial. They're not through it. But if you know somebody who's going through a hard time, who needs the gospel, maybe they've turned their back on church. Maybe the truth is they didn't grow up in a church like this that proclaimed the gospel clearly. That was me. I grew up, I didn't hear the gospel until I was 27 years old. First time I heard it, I responded. You know people like that. 
And this story is gonna be a great one. So impact services, what we do is we tell a story so that people can respond and give them an opportunity, special music. It's gonna be awesome. December 19th, invite a friend, a relative, a coworker, someone. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God. And that's an opportunity for us to what? To, to share God's redemptive story. And too often we keep it to ourselves. And we need to share it. Next reason why this genealogy is the best. I mean, this is the best by far. Good stuff so far? Third reason, I think, is what we're on. Jesus' genealogy is miraculous because it reveals God's grace and glory. And so what's interesting about this, as you read through the names of the genealogy, you'll see something, two groundbreaking truths. Number one, it includes women. But it's the women that it includes that is truly interesting. So let's take a look at a few of them. How about this one? Tamar. Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute in Genesis 38 and had sex with her father-in-law. What? Well, she wanted to have a kid because her husband died. What? How could she be on this list? Grace. How about the next one? I mean, Rahab. What's Rahab known for? Let me give you a hint. Pinocchio, Roxanne, song by the police. Liar, prostitute. How can she be on the list? It's grace, man. It just runs deep. And the third person, this one can fool us because we can think, oh, Ruth, oh, the love story. I, I just remembered. And, and oh, yes, how could she be on the list? Well, don't forget she was a Moabite woman before she met Naomi. I mean, those people and what she was brought up in and what she probably did as a youngster. We all got skeletons in our closet. How can she be on the list? Crazy. And then how about this one? Wife of Uriah. What's her name? Bathsheba. You know the story there in 2 Samuel 11. Man, I mean, it's just laced with adultery and deception and abuse. How can she be on this list? Grace. Th these women are all knots in the family tree. But I would suggest to you that every single name on here besides Jesus Christ is a knot in the family tree. And I would suggest to you that we're all knots in this tree too. But it's all about grace that we don't deserve, that he redeemed us. Jody and I, we often say it like this. We say our mess became our message. And some of you know our story. I mean, and honestly, we, we, I confess in a book, my worst day, my worst sin, my worst nightmare, just like we know of the, so, so that all can know. But why do I do that? Because my mess became my message. Because just like you and me, our story is for his glory, amen? That, that what we've been through and, and God redeems us. And, and man, that's what this is all laced with. 
These 17 verses are laced with his grace, the redemptive story of God, the miraculous genealogy that it records fulfilled prophecy. It validates Christ's deity. It declares God's grace, redemptive story. It, it reveals his grace and glory. And lastly, it, it does this. It, it brings hope for time and eternity. And, and so this is, I've taught on this before, so um, forgive me if this is a repeat, but until you start saying it, you need to hear it again. And so hope in the Bible is way different than our hope. Our hope is based on uncertainty. The Bible's hope is based on certainty. And so our hope is kind of like, well, I, you know, I, I hope the weather is going to be nice tomorrow. I need to rake the leaves. It's December in Chicago. The weather's probably not going to be nice tomorrow. No matter what your weatherman told you, it's not. Or how about this one? This gets a little too closer to home. I'm going to back away because I'm going to feel the pushback. I hope the bears win today. <laughs> no comment is necessary. There was one clown in the back trying to clap. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm just joking around. I don't know if he was saying, yes, they're going to win, or no, they're not, or I, so please forgive me. I, I, I don't know. I mean, our hope, I, I just, it's a dice roll, man. His hope is for sure. Bet the farm on it. It's going to happen. You, 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 it's going to. It, it's assurance. And that's the hope we have. So this preps us, and I hope you can appreciate that, that we didn't skip it over to get to the verse 18, the birth of Christ. And oftentimes I've been guilty myself, but man, this provides the foundation of what we believe. And, and so hope, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He probably said it best. He said, Without Christ, there is no hope. And so, no, he's right. Not, no biblical hope. And then Johnny Erickson Tata, if you're familiar with her story, old school, I mean, she is a paraplegic because in her teen years, she dove into a lake and, and she's been in a wheelchair for her whole life. And, and she says this. I mean, here's a woman that knows something about trials and adversity and difficulty. And what does she say about hope? She says, the best we can hope for in this life is a not whole peak at the shining realities ahead. Yet a glimpse is enough, she writes. It's enough to convince our hearts that whatever sufferings and sorrows currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon. That's the hope we're pointing people to. So Father, I pray as our heads are bowed that this genealogy reveals you, Jesus. And you are the written word, you are the spoken word, you are the living word. And as the living word, Lord, you've fulfilled these prophecies that are included in this book that I hold in my hands. And as the living word, Lord, you've validated your deity by what you've done and who you are. Lord, you declared your redemptive story and you want to use us as vessels. I even pray even now that we would think about the people in our lives that need this story. And that you give us the boldness and courage, Lord. I, man, it didn't go well last time I brought it up. But Lord, would you use us, would you use our services to, to reveal your redemptive story to help people that it would maybe write a chapter in their life. 
And Father, you are the living word. You've sent your son, Jesus, reveals your grace and your glory. Lord, that brings hope to me. That brings hope to us. That brings hope to our families. That brings hope to our kids. That brings hope to our church. That can bring hope to our community. That can bring hope to our world. Lord, would you use us, I pray, in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, please stand. Let's worship him.